Welcome to the Real Estate Reserve Podcast with your hosts, Jason Balin and Ian Horowitz. Just keep loving the theme music, baby. Dude, love I, the love, theme music. I love the music every time, man. Like, I don't know. It gets me uh, pumped. Uh, hey, everybody. What's going on? Jason at Harmony Bankers and Ian at Equity Warehouse. It is April 17th, a Friday. What do we do on Fridays? We do case studies. So a uh, few things lined up for today. We are going to hop into a case study shortly on the Burr strategy. Kind of an interesting, interesting way to say it. But a project that Ian, uh, he bought. He renovated, he rented out, he refinanced, and then he repeated into his next deal. So we're going to dive into one of those. He, um, you know, we've, we've got some good pictures and images and HUDs and screenshots and things like that that we're going to share with everybody uh, in a second. Um, but first, we're going to bring in Greg uh, in a second. And the reason why is, and let me bring in Greg. What's up, Greg? How's it going? Not bad, not bad. So Ian will give you, I guess... A uh, little bit rundown backstory, but I, you know, it seems to me Greg's the first one that I personally know who has money in hand from this crazy paycheck protection program. Yeah, we got it last night. Yeah, so Greg, um, just well, you, I'll give Greg a quick intro. We I know him uh, through my other full time job uh, of being a firefighter. We have some mutual friends, Greg Pilati uh, of Greg Pilati Furniture Makers. Uh, my understanding is you guys are a high end furniture maker. Do a lot of work for like uh big institutional size um like apartment buildings conference tables those types of thing um and you've been negatively affected so uh first if you could just give a quick rundown of what your company does and then we'll jump into how the ppp worked out for you and how it's going to help your business yeah we build custom uh mostly custom commercial office furniture uh some amenity furniture for uh, big apartment buildings um we do uh you know uh, tables for breweries and things like that. Uh, the the big ticket items the the custom conference table. Right. Uh, so uh, you know we're in the D.C. market, New York City, Philly. Uh, a lot of work in Texas, California. Uh, pretty much ship all over the U.S. Uh, yes, we sir. have uh, 10, 10, 11 employees. Uh, we're actually working on buying a second company right now and expanding uh, through all of this, which is kind of nuts in its own. Uh, right. But yeah, we uh, you know we got shut down. I think on the nineteenth, nineteenth of March, we, we got closed, shut down by the state. Right, and just so everyone's clear, Greg's in Pennsylvania. Um, yes. So I guess your first, just real quick, your first course of action when this all happened was this: Did the state have any programs that they were offering up right then and there? Uh, the initial shutdown there was there was pretty much nothing. It would close up. We'll get back to you essentially when we can. Uh, right. I want. It took about a week for, you know, CARES Act and things like that to start showing up. The state had a small $61 million program, which went fast, obviously. I mean, that went in like five hours and that was right. Done. So we applied for that uh, five minutes after they opened the program. It took about a week uh, after applying that we got an answer that, yeah, you know, we're going to get the money. Now, we still haven't gotten the funds but we did sign all the documents on it. It's, it's closed. Uh, we just, we haven't seen anything out, out, out of that uh, yeah. out of program. So, and that's the state level stuff, correct? That's a state level. That's a Pennsylvania. Right. It's so you're, like a little industrial fund threw a bunch of money in it because it had people that could disperse it and right. said, okay, go through your County. And then through your County, you can apply to the state. Right. So, and then, um, so once all that happens, you were kind of forced to shut down. Nobody could really right. work in your shop. Um, the next, the next, uh, step was then to go apply for the PPP and you, if you're, if you're willing to mention it, who your bank is and how yeah. that all worked out for you. So we bank with, I actually bank with two banks. I kind of always have, uh, it helps us with the size, like the amount of revenue that we're doing. It really helps us out. Uh, so one of my banks is Wells Fargo and the other bank is WSFS. Uh, we stand for service, I think is what they call themselves, or Wilmington Saving, I don't know, WSFS, local bank, uh, Delaware, Pennsylvania Bank. Um, those guys have been awesome. They're, the small banks are knocking out of the park right now. Uh, right. So I applied on 4-1. We were supposed to be able to apply, but the program got backlogged. So I think it was 4-4, which was a Monday. Right. We 
I, I put in an email to, to, to WSFS and, and I had already had communication with them because we're, we're very close with them and an email into Wells Fargo. Um, our WSFS application took about half an hour to fill out and within 15 minutes it was approved, done. We got a confirmation number, they told us how much money it was gonna be and they told us that the money was now put aside with right. the SBA, we're gonna get it, it just they don't know when we're gonna right. get it. Uh, okay. So yesterday was the 16th, we got the DocuSign, we signed it and within 10 minutes the money was in our account. Um, nice. wow. At the same time, Wells Fargo finally answered the email. <laughs> that, hey, you can apply right as the so the big banks, my experience, the little banks are the ones getting this done. The big right. banks yep. done. Yeah, I mean 12 days later, same thing for us. Um, I literally sitting here and I'm not trying to be rude, but I am watching my email and I just got an email from our bank that says our funds have now been deposited into your account. So um, it does seem like the small banks are the ones that are on top of it. Um, and I think we've all known since day one that uh, that the you know, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, those type of guys, they're just they're getting their butts whooped. So yeah. Yeah. Um, that's just happening. That's, I, that's, a, real life, that's a real I'm, life story right here. Nice. Yeah. Right so here. we we were we were taught, you know, and and we were talking about this earlier. And um, you know, whoever's watching or listening, don't worry. We're going to get into this case study of the um, in a second because I know that's what a lot of people are interested in. But we were talking about this earlier, and you know, it's kind of an unfortunate mess just in general, right? Because I agree with you that the local banks are easier to do than than um, the bigger banks, just because you can have personalized service and you can talk to someone, you can answer you can ask questions and and things like that. But um, the unfortunate part is, I think everyone who has an approval already should be fined related to funding. I'm guessing this is I don't that, know this for a fact, we were, but I'm guessing that's what we were told. WSFS told us that if you got an application form back that said your application has been accepted. Even though they ran out of money, you are part of that program. Yep. It's just a that's matter it. of getting you the funds. Exactly. That's, that's what we figured. Yeah. That's kind of what we figured as well through the approval. But you know, it's super unfortunate for everybody who had to wait until last Friday to right. to take because none of them are, you know, unfortunately, none of them are gonna happen. So, and that's the majority, at least in our space, in the real estate investing space, the single real estate agent or you know, small brokerage or real you know, real estate investor or real estate appraiser or somebody who doesn't have payroll, but they are 1099, they are an independent contractor. Um, you know, that's the super unfortunate part because they didn't even have the time to do it. The funds were even, right. you know, ran out. So who knows? And, and the thing is this, like, hopefully they're going to put together another stimulus package. I'm not sure if that is or not going to happen. I mean, there's a lot of signs now that stating they don't want to, you know, they, they you know, there's parties that they're, they're fighting that, but I guess we'll see what happens uh, on, on all on all this, and it's an ever changing thing. The good news is at least some people are getting funds in hand because until Ian mentioned that you had gotten money in hand, we didn't know of anybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And actually, one question I do have, Greg. I don't know what they told you. I know that you're still technically shut down by the state. However, the funding is to put employees back to work. How are you gonna? I guess. How are you going to navigate that um, just for anybody else that's going through the same thing where they've been funded, but they don't know how to get their employees back to work? Well, you have to start dispersing the money when you get it. So right. you got it on a Thursday night. There, it, it made no sense for me to start payroll back up on a Friday. It, it would just be a right. nightmare, especially with coinciding with all their unemployment. So right. we're starting back on Monday. Yeah, we're still closed. Um, it's essentially federal government unemployment right. in state. That's essentially what this is. Um, right. And look, my hope is that we can get back open soon enough that now that money is being used for my production because right. that's actually going to benefit the company's bottom line. Right. But for me, my take on it, um, and I, I might be just a little different than, than, than some, my team was kind of hard to put together. Uh, it's a very unique skill set that you just can't pick up on the street. You either have to apprentice, go to a trade school, whatever. It's not the most widely, uh, you know, uh, job out there, you know, furniture making, especially in what we do. There's just not a lot of us. The biggest hit for me isn't revenue. It would be losing these guys and girls. Right. Because I can't just put a hire sign out 
get these guys back or, or replace with with someone, I'm out of the game. I'm done. My market right. expect a certain level of work. So for us, this is huge because we guarantee another eight weeks that we've got a team, right. whether they're working or not. Yeah, it's um, the same. We open. Yeah, and it's the same thing for us in real estate. You know, we all have our guys that. Right. You know, whether they're 1099 or they're employees, you know, that guys that are tr- you know, plumbers or tradesmen or whatever that are you know looking for work. And granted, a lot of them aren't jumping somewhere else to go to work because there's really nowhere to go. But it's the same type of thing that, hey, we're trying to keep these guys on the books. And, you know, we all build teams over the years. So we feel yeah. your pain. Um, I know. Uh, I'm sorry, Jay, you got anything else? Uh, yeah, no, that's 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 the long and short of it. You know, it's. Uh... The, the big uh, takeaway that I got from it is just don't give up. I, I know the funding ran out. The funding also ran out for the EIDL. Um, supposedly, if you were in for the EIDL, you're supposed to get it, but I haven't heard a, a, anything on the right. EIDL. That's, that's a mess. But keep watching the news. Um, I, I, I can't say that they're going to fund it again, but the amount of people that have not gotten funding, I don't see them not funding it again. Uh, yep. I, I think they're going to have to. Um, I think it's time. Um, keep on it and and keep, you know, don't be a jerk, but put the pressure on who you're working with. Explain who you're working with. Look, I know everybody's in trouble, but get me on the list. Let's get me going here. Um, yeah. You just have to be a little bit more forceful than, than maybe we're all a little bit used to. And I, and I think that's why the small banks were the advantage. Like I know our, our bank, People's Bank, they're up in Lancaster. Yeah. Um, and all, all around PA, but they literally told us that everybody that is a banker or works for this company is actively pursuing the PPP loans for all of our clients. Cause you know, I mean, it's a smart move. They know that small businesses, you know, help them turn a lot of money through their banks. So and that's the thing to remember. Some of these people that are processing these loans, they're not loan officers. They correct. They, they're bank tellers, correct. you know? So when, when we even got ours, they asked me, Hey, can you tell us how the process went? Because you're one of the first ones. So they wanted right. feedback from us to even know how – because they don't know. I mean, it's this is uncharted waters for them. So, you know, be respectful. Uh, understand that it's not that – you know, they're they're in trouble too. Uh, but right. be careful with it. Um, the last thing I'll say, it goes down to – like you're talking about the community banks, the small banks. I think a lot of people have learned a lesson about how important it is to have that relationship with your banker. Because I I did get a note uh, from my SBA guy that we were in the first five businesses at that bank that got their application in. And it's because we have an existing relationship. You know, we talk once a month. We meet once a month. We just go over what we're doing. It's all about relationships. Develop, develop, develop your relationship. Wells Fargo is great. Bank of America is great. But you're not going to get one on one. There's exactly. value with these small guys. Agreed. All right. Well, we certainly appreciate you hopping on and sharing yeah, those insights guys. with everybody. We certainly appreciate it. Yeah, take it easy. All right, take, all right, take care. Yep, you too. Thanks. Thanks, Greg. All right, cool. Yeah, no, that's great information. And I'm glad that we were able to bring him on to you know give everybody some insight from somebody who actually got funding. Um, yeah, right, and so if that, you, real quick, if you didn't get to see or uh, I know we didn't let him leave his contact info, but if you guys want to see some cool furniture, I know he did all the furniture work down at the Guinness Brewery. Uh, it's Greg Pilati Furniture Makers. He has a Facebook and he's everywhere else online. So yeah, yeah, comment that below this video. Greg, if you're still listening, throw that on uh, the comment section of this um, and we'll share it out. All right, so let's hop into your project, Ian, that you had done. What um, you want me to screen share? Yeah, let's pull up the Google image um, and let's start here. So uh, this property was brought to us along with a few other properties. And like Greg was just talking about is relationships. So this property here, um, 4343 Garland Avenue was brought to us from a wholesaler. Um, Most of you know the wholesaler. Um, my buddy Terry it's, Royce. It's, it's the one. It's the, this is the special. I forgot to mention this earlier. Dang it! This is the special edition Terry Royce shirt. So we yeah. obviously have a lot of. Sorry to interrupt you. And we've got yeah. obviously a ton of different HMB style shirts that we've made over the years for all of our clients. Um, so when all of our clients do loans, we we send them you know special edition HMB shirt, and, or we send them an HMB shirt. We've got maybe twenty different line, you know, twenty different uh, versions. And Terry's like, won't you ever make anything orange? And not that I think this 
uh, Maryland logo would look great on orange, which it doesn't, but we decided to make a special edition one for Terry. I think we only made five of them. So I have one of them and then I shipped out four to him. So you're welcome. Yeah, Terry. And, and uh, think, anyways, I go think, ahead. I think he wears it all the time, but either way, Terry uh, brought us this deal. I think a buyer backed out on him along with a few other properties. Um, we were actively buying at that time. So uh, we jumped all over this. The interesting thing about this property in my I don't know why I'm frozen up here. So this property is in Nottingham, Maryland. So like where Bel Air Road and Silver Spring meet up. It's only this one half of the house. It's these two windows. Jay, I'm not seeing any live comments, but anyone's commenting. Um, but these, this half of the house, and it's not letting me scroll forward. I oh, Wait, there we go. Um, so you guys can see. It's actually a three-bedroom, uh, two-bath house with two full baths uh, with a finished basement that we turned into a fourth bedroom. Now, when we originally um, uh, we, when we um, originally bought this property, um, our goal was to go in here. We knew it was an opportunity area for a local program um, called BRHP. They look for properties that are in certain neighborhoods, certain zip codes, and certain uh, census tracts for their tenants to move, and they will pay a little bit above market rent so we knew at three bedrooms uh this thing would rent at 1800 and if we could finish the basement that it would rent at 2200 but our goal our so our business model is never ever ever finish basements unless it's well worth it a 400 swing was a hundred percent worth it so going into it our expectation was only to keep this as a three bedroom um property uh, plus doing that, we also knew our renovation costs. This is a newer house that it would be a little bit less. Um, if we so then choose and we knew that the basement was dry, the basement had no issues. We could go in there and finish the basement out for, you know, an extra five or 10 grand. I don't, uh, I'm trying to remember how bad the basement was, but either way we knew for a few extra bucks that we could get in there and finish it up. Um, Another big thing about this is we don't usually buy houses at this price point. Um, it's a little bit above where we normally are. Um, the area is considerably nicer. You know, we were a little bit worried about cash flow, but we knew our disposition. We knew how to get the property rented. We knew um, that we could get the property refinanced. Um, so those were two major things that kind of made us really willing to buy this. Um, the other thing is we did confirm it from our tenant placement um, person who said, Hey, by the way, if you finish this out, you'll get, you should hit the $2,200, uh, range. So what we did from here is once we got the property under contract, it was a matter of financing it. So at that point we reached out to, um, uh, Jason over at hard money bankers and, uh, you know, said, me. Hey, yep. And said, Hey, is this a deal? <laughs> is this a deal? And you know, is seriously how it went down. We'll show you in a second, but is, hey, is it a deal that you would do? So, Jay, I don't know if you want to walk through like what your underwriting process was. We just real quick, our expectation of budget was, you know, approximately 25 grand. Um, but if you want to. Yeah, I mean, deals like this, we love. I think most lenders love. And the reason why is they're in the suburbs. They're very, very easy to comp. Um, they're they're at they're still in the median housing price neighborhoods, which most hard money lenders like. Um, the beauty of this one is you can flip it or you can rent it, uh, and and you would typically do similar types of renovation budgets for both, give or take. You know, all over all around, it's just a good type of asset. There's it's hard to it's hard to lose on a deal like this if you buy it at a good price. And as a lender, you know, if you're lending around sixty five percent, give or take of it, I think we might have got a little bit of aggressive with Ian. I think maybe like 67% or something we lent them on this particular deal based on relationship and based on knowing the area really well and comfortable with it, not a huge construction project, things like that. You know, it made a lot of sense. Yeah. And so, you know, again, back for us, I think we were paying 140 for this. You know, it, it's just not our, it's not our normal business model. Sure. You know, deals like this come through that everybody says, I just want a lipstick deal. And it's very few and far between because lipstick deals you know, while they sound good, they're actually kind of harder to do. We prefer to find houses that you can literally walk in the basement, look up and see the sun, right? Like that's our go-to because we know everything that we're putting back into it. So the deal in our eyes was a little difficult. So um, as Jason said, after a bunch of back and forth, we finally agreed to terms, which basically he told me what it was and I said, okay. Um, 
But our expectation was, I think we paid one. Let's see. Let's go over here. So um, you want to work? I don't even know if anybody can see it, if it's too small. Um, but I think we wound up paying 140 after we paid the wholesaler's fee um, and all our other good costs to get the deal done. So there's the HUD. Um, here's our accounting side of things. You know, we got a loan from hard money bankers at 150. We brought 15 grand to the table. A little note, if anybody can actually see this, you know, our ex <laughs> our expected budget. Thank you for us up, Ian. Ian, you froze up. <laughs> Hold on. I think Ian's computer froze up. <laughs> oh well. Ian, restart your computer. Because I think it uh I, I think me? It fro I think it's Yeah, there we go. go. We're yeah. back. I don't know. Yeah, they're working on the internet. Um they're putting in new cables outside. I've noticed the past few days and I've had trouble here the last two days. So I apologize. But I was trying to tell everybody, look, we make mistakes too. Our not mistakes, you know, it happens. Our expected renovation budget was twenty five grand. Um and you can see what we paid before the wholesale fee and what we paid after the wholesale fee. And what I was telling you guys is that I am more than happy to walk you through exactly what happened. So um, this property here, we wound up having to renovate it. We put new roof, new kitchen, new bath, painted it. The nice thing is we didn't have to do mechanicals. I think it was built 1970 something. Um, and it had a brand new HVAC system in it. So a lot of that stuff was squared away. Um, so it was really just getting it cleaned up, getting it lipstick back together and renovating the basement. Um, so what happened was uh, we got all that done and then we got it leased out and we went to go refinance it. And I just want to show everybody here. We refinance this along. Um, of course, you're not going to work right now. Uh, everything's freezing on me, boys. Um, so when we went to go refinance it, we refinanced it along with a few other properties. I'm thinking my computer's... It's time for me to order. I got to stop working off the Mac. Um, so what? we... Uh, it's just a laptop. I don't know if it's powerful enough. I think it's time for a um, a camera on my big computer and just do it that way. On your desktop. So, yeah. So either way, we did a um, we did a blanket loan across. I think it was seven properties. I think we got an eight hundred twenty five thousand dollar loan. Um, and as you guys can see right down here on Garland, which way am I going? Where are you, Garland? Where are you? Right here, Garland. We wound up, uh, dude, it's not moving. I'm about, to, I'm about to bail. Um, right here, we wound up spending all. We wound up spending one hundred ninety-three thousand dollars and fifty-two cents. So. Our loan was for 150. We brought 14 to the table. That was a buck 55. We wound up spending, uh, or 65. We wound up spending an additional 30 grand. Well, what did we spend it on? We spent it on fixing up the basement. Uh, we did have some holding costs of about five grand, um, interest payments and other things. The other problem is, you know, sometimes when you count on these things and you have two out, we did this and another property right next to each other. Um, sometimes accounting can get a little difficult with the two properties being close to each other because the guy will go shop for both houses at the same time. Um, so some of that cost overrun could be from that. Well, um, so a lot of people talk about the burst strategy and say, hey, y'all want to get all my money out, this, that, and the other thing. We tell everybody in our clients that um, come and, you know, do consulting with us is that it's okay to have money stuck in the deal. We've had plenty of deals where we've refinanced every single penny out. Um, and we haven't had any, you know, haven't had any money stuck in the deal. Well, your return at that point is infinite. Now these seven houses, we wound up having, um, of course, my, everything's backwards, but I think we wound up having right here, we had to bring $18,000 to the closing table to get this deal done. Well, who wouldn't do that? against seven properties right like at that point your cash in the deal is so minuscule comparatively speaking to what you're earning you know your, your returns you know 80 percent or 70 percent leverage like 
that's a home run all day. I mean, we were just talking about it yesterday with the multifamily guys. Their cash on cash returns that they're trying to achieve is six and a half percent and levered up. You know, that's barely 10 or 12 percent. You know, maybe it's 15. Yep. Um, so it's huge. And, you know, that's the power of utilizing other people's money. And, you know, I think there's a there's a big um, push. It's like we got to get your cap. Jason, we bought this deal from Terry. Right? I didn't go out and find the deal. Why am I going to waste my time? We're really good at construction and operating in the properties. We didn't go out and find the money. Jason's already got that established for us. You know, so like, why do I need to go out and do all those things when somebody else that's really good at it? Let them go do those things and utilize what they have. Um, Jason, I don't yeah. know. Well, well, if you're doing deals in, in volume, you have to do it your model. It's the only way to do it because if not, you... you you know, you, the amount of employees that you're going to hire or the amount of time that you're going to put into it just isn't obviously worth it. If you're a one-off investor and you want to go try to raise private capital, if you want to, you know, go out and do a bunch of marketing, if you want to be involved in, in every, every step of it, you know, no problem, you know, have at it to try to get a bigger, uh, a bigger return. But that being said, it's just, you know, time versus money. It just doesn't make sense. Like there's no way if you're doing whatever, 10, 15 projects a year that you can handle all of those, uh, all of those things over and over and over. It just, it, it just doesn't work. So, all right, well, let's talk about, so when you, this is running for 2,200 bucks a month. Yep. 2,200. Have you had much issues with this project maintenance or anything like that after the fact? No CapEx. Well, so, and that's the other thing going back to our business model is that, you know, we do like to renovate everything on day one because we reduce our CapEx over the long term. Um, I guess I should have dug a little bit deeper and I could have showed you guys a spreadsheet that our CapEx is not um, huge. Most of our maintenance calls is, you know, a little bit of tenant damages here and then just odds and ends, you know, anybody lives in your house, stuff's going to break. Um, I think the worst thing that we've had happen there was that we had to replace a uh, something on the water heater. I think it was the uh, electric going to it. We had to put a disconnect in because uh, we had a fused one and we wanted a non-fused one um, because that fuse would continue to blow. Um, other than that, CapEx-wise, you know, I'm going to jinx myself. She'll probably call me tomorrow and tell me something's completely wrong. But no, there's not much. There's not much maintenance there, you know. And when you look at, go ahead. Yeah, it's also because you're doing a lot of heavy lifting on the front end. I mean, a lot of investors, the ones that want to do the lipstick on a pig projects, especially if they're holding them as rentals, it just comes to bite them down the road. They put less money in now, but then all of a sudden, you know, instead of having a 10 or 15 year life expectancy on a roof or, or something else, major, um, you know, capital improvements, those things pop up, you know, one by one, you know, this year I got this, this year I got this. And then all of a sudden, you know, you either put it in on the front end um, or your maintenance costs on a monthly size yearly level are just uh, astronomical because you're just redoing stuff. And we ran into a whole bunch of rental properties that we own and that's happened to us. It's a pain in the neck because, um, you know, we want to have a certain budget set aside for uh, what's up Rod Rodney in Indiana. How are you? Um, you know, we wanted to set aside, you know, the right budget. What's the right budget that you have per property per month? Uh, so I think Dan was alluding to it the other day. I believe that our budget for CapEx is $50 a month per property, but that's based on our business model. Um, and going off what we were, what you were just discussing, it's hard enough to renovate a property vacant, let alone renovating a property for a major CapEx project with a tenant living there. Right. Um, so when you look at it, not only from that hassle, the other thing is, yeah. is that when when you have downtimes, like, oh, I'm going to go do the roof, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. Well, now you're losing three months of valuable rent. At least when you buy it, you know, you're not earning anything. You have this expectation that I'm going to go fix everything on day one. Um, yeah. And we find a lot of investors that get in trouble are the ones that go in, buy the stuff, don't renovate it on day one, try to get away with it, and just cause themselves problems over the long term. Um so we budget $50 a month per property. We put that in a reserve account. And we were, I know when Dan was on the uh, show the other day, we were talking about, you know, we ran into some trouble uh, with turnover costs and stuff and not budgeting for it. But now what we do is we put $50 per property away um, in a reserve account. So if anything major happens, we draw off of that rather than just saying, well, it's coming out of our operating budget, out of our operating budget. We draw <laughs> off of that. 
and then just refill it and stock it up. And then when it's when it hits our max reserve number, then it's like, okay, well, that's additional cash flow that we can distribute or go buy other stuff. Um, and that's how it, it takes a lot of discipline to do. But if you're willing to do it over the long term, um, it'll pay massive dividends back to you. Yeah, so you have to do it that way. It's the same thing we do with our lending portfolio for deals that potentially go into default or have um, unnecessary things that we have to do. Taking money out of your operating account absolutely sucks for anything that's unexpected. And our rentals, we have more, we have a higher reserve every month and we also have less monthly cash flow because we, you know, especially now that all of our rentals, most of our rentals were purchased over five years ago. And, you know, we have the stuff that was improved. Um, Some of that stuff is starting to run into issues, but more importantly, you know, a lot of the stuff wasn't, they weren't full renovations. So things are popping up regularly. It drives me absolutely crazy that, that, that they happen, but it, but it's fine. I mean, you know, we have a good enough uh, reserve that we, we can cover it. So really all it is, is less uh, positive monthly cash flow. But what, what do you guys look at? And fair, I'll answer your question real quick. Our interest rates at hard money bankers are 13% um, when we lend out uh, capital. Uh, and real quick, let me, let me comment on that, that a lot of people get scared off about that, but it's a cost of doing business. And we roll that cost into the cost basis of our property. Our account allows us to do it. Um, so there are advantages going forward. You know, that's a cost of doing business. Um, whether you get it from hard money bankers or, you know, you go out and ask your friends, look, man, they're taking a risk on on something for, that they're expecting you to do. Um, so we've always looked at it just as a, as a cost of doing business. And that's it. So, yeah. Well, that, thank you for uh, support, <laughs> supporting no, the cause. I'm serious. But, yeah, hey, it no, doesn't matter if it was you or anybody else. I would say yeah. the same exact well, thing. And, and, here, and here's the thing, like. People hear 13% and that's a sticker shock for a lot of people, right. but guess what? That's annualized interest. So you divide that by 12 and that's what you pay monthly. So, you know, the payment's $1,082 for every 100,000 that you borrow per month. So if you only borrow the money for three months, $100,000 for three months, it's $1,082 a month. So, you know, a little over 3,000 bucks to borrow $100,000. So, you know, it's it's not bad. You want, Farah, related to, do you have investment loans? Yeah, we absolutely do investment loans for apartment buildings. Um, and up to what amount and, and what units don't really have a max. I mean, we try to max out around $2 million, uh, per, per loan. Uh, that's just our comfort level, but we're open to those. You want to answer Rodney's question? Uh, I've got six judgments that were foreclosure properties in Maryland for you guys. Three are clear. Three still started. You're just, you're cranking it out during the Corona era. People are still doing deals. Um, I guess that's a good thing. Um, so yeah, so so you got so you have the judgments. Um, you know, you're the are you the judgment? You're the judgment owner currently. Have you bought those judgments, or did you foreclose on them and then had uh, the deficiency judgments that you have? Answer. I guess give us a little clarity of what you're lo- you're looking for. I'd love to submit them and get and get started. So I'm guessing I'm guessing that somebody foreclosed on a foreclosed on a property and then you um and then i guess they sold you the you know the the judgments get, give me a little clarity on what you're looking for on those that would be helpful um okay so where are we where are we going at oh so what is your target return cash flow Let, let's first start of like how much do you want to make monthly per unit because i know a lot of people they don't really okay. care too much about their their percentage return because who cares really on a percentage return? Right. I don't care about uh, that either. I want to care about dollar signs. And it's like, hey, great, I'm getting a 100% rate of return if I put up $1 and, you know, you know get a dollar back, whatever. But that doesn't right. mean anything. You know, when you buy a property, what's the minimum amount of monthly um, cash you, know, flow. you want back cash flow? Plus, obviously, you're, you're analyzing these over uh, interest rate return, and I get that. Yeah. So um, for us, the simplest way when we initially got started was my metric. <laughs> this is crazy, but was that if my mortgage was 600 bucks that I was going to try to make 600 bucks in cash flow. That was my goal. That's a super, <laughs> excuse me. <It's> good metric. <laughs> that's a super hard metric to meet. Um, you know, you got to go into some, we- you know, sketch areas to do it. Right. And then you really, your life, everything else, it's worth. 
a little more and you know you can only work in those neighborhoods for so long so as we moved up our goal is between three to four hundred dollars per month in net cash flow after the mortgage is paid and my people might say well that's low well comparatively speaking no against the amount of capital we have it's not the other thing is we fix everything up on day one so our capex doesn't it doesn't it's not hurt all of our costs is rolled in up front so that's our target um, is between three and four hundred dollars be somewhere the area is you start lower than that and think about it 2500 bucks a year you know you have one major thing go wrong that money's wiped out um, so it's not really you know you're just you're just kind of turning money um, so um, with that being said that's that's where we're at that's what our comfort level is for the areas that we invest in which I would say are C plus, you know, to B um, is really where we like to be. So no, we got C we plus. got some bad, we got bad stuff. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. But our primary you know, area is the Beltway. I mean, a lot of B stuff, a lot of workhorse blue collar type areas, medium home. You know, like you've been saying, medium home pricing. Um, we will go into some other areas that we know are trending upwards, and we'll go buy the stuff that's a little bit tougher. Um, but it's also a little bit tougher to get money on. So those are considered median housing prices. A buck fifty is not median house pricing. Yeah, those are, but that's not yeah. everything you got. <laughs> no, I was going to say it's not everything we got. That's why I say C yeah. going up to B. I, you know, mo most of our stuff's in the B minus B world. I would have, you know, I would like to upgrade a lot of those assets to get more into the B plus neighborhoods. You know, we've had some conversations with a lot of people, especially. The guys at Harborstone Advisors yesterday with their multifamily yep. stuff that their C stuff's running into a lot of issues right now, and we're only into this month one because the tenants are having a hard time paying. All their B and C, all their B and A stuff has been has been great. Uh, they've been collecting lots and lots of rents as well. We haven't we at, all of our stuff that's B minus or B. Now, granted, a lot of it's subsidized, so that it's hard to to layer that in. But even the stuff that's not, we haven't had any issues yet with stuff that. Uh, paying or not paying. Uh, everyone's been paying so far. Now that's month one. April 1st was a huge test. May 1st is going to be the next big test. But I think in general, um, the, you know, the C, the C stuff is going to run into a little bit more problems with, with tenants and residents being able to pay. The B and A stuff will be a little bit, obviously a little bit better. Now, again, that also depends on what part of the country that you're in. I'm just talking mostly here because that's where we, we obviously know the most because that's where all of our portfolio obviously our portfolios are but i would say you know when we start buying some new rentals again because most of our rentals were well over five years ago that we purchased them and then you know we we sat on those and had that had our portfolio kind of grow and mature and get better at them because obviously a big part of this is everyone always wants to just buy 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 instead of like analyzing exactly what you're doing and when we had a few rentals um you know everything performed great then we bought a whole bunch of rentals and then all of a sudden you know the numbers didn't shake out to be all that great because we you know you got to walk before you can run a lot of people just want to ramp up without putting systems behind it so we took a step back we put systems and processes in place so everything's were well stabilized and that's been the last five years and they've been they've been great um as well but i think when we go and start buying more assets again in the future we're going to be probably more b plus neighborhoods and for us the reason why is well, i want less headaches and with less headaches i'm willing to take a, a smaller return and a less return um you know we have very good cash flow on a monthly basis that being said i'm not 100 sure that most of those properties have appreciated all that much they have a little bit but not all that much um and in general i would like to have less headaches a smaller return deploy money in good assets you know if you ask anybody who's owns a lot of assets and and um, you know, wealthy individuals, the goal with investing is you always want to up your asset class and invest in, um, you know, bigger and better projects in general. You start with, you know, maybe one house and you sit uh, with a rental, then maybe you sell it to a 1031 and invest in a bigger one and then maybe a smaller multifamily and then a bigger multifamily. Um, so we'll see. And the good part is, is we can do 1031s with all, with all those and, and, and defer, defer any capital gains. Uh, right. And, you know, I think that's something that we, we found out very early on is that, you know, um, thank you, Antoine, <laughs> is that when we were, you know, flipping houses, we were in a certain neighborhood and then 
we would go back to the other neighborhoods where we were renting out properties. Like, well, why don't we just do the properties where we're flipping houses? Like if those houses are good for, for the flip, why wouldn't they be good rentals? Right. Um, so yeah, we've been, we've been moving up the, uh, asset classes as well. Um, we've also done it through exploring in different asset class types. Um, you know, going back to what Justin was saying, some of the C plus stuff that's not working versus what's working. Uh, I think this is the key to a lot of stuff right here, you know, having subsidized rentals and understanding that game. Um, so you can get through and navigate processes like this. I mean, we've lucked out, um, going through our portfolio, almost 87% or 85% somewhere in there of our rent comes from the government, you know, so as long as the government doesn't have any crazy shutdowns, uh, during all this, we've been pretty secure. We haven't seen anything, um, crazy in the way of rent efficiencies. Uh, we had, did have one tenant push back. So, uh, you know, that's not bad. One out of a hundred. It's not bad. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, a portion of them, not all of them are just getting a hundred percent subsidized, you know, subsidies. So you still have partial payments that are coming in from your residents that well, you're we, collecting on. Um, yeah, we have and, a tenant, which we do too. Yeah. We have a tenant. She pays literally the whole rent. Um, her son moved in, um, to help him out and her, uh, her income in the household was too high. So she's responsible for all 1400 bucks. But the reason she remains on the program is that the vouchers in her name and if her son's to move out, that she wouldn't be able to afford the rent and it would change what her, what her portion is. Um, so either way it, it works for us. You know, it's all what your comfort level of it, you know, is you're sure you get into the B plus neighborhoods and, um, there's money to be made. There's, there's money to be made in the A, but like Jay said, you know, it's more, you know, you start turning it into more of a savings account and you're diminishing your return. So if you're looking for active cash flow, make sure you find something that works for you, you're comfortable with. And we always tell everybody, even though our houses might be in certain neighborhoods, that if I was single when I first got in the fire academy and we first started this, would I live there? That the quality of the housing's there. So whether it's an A or an F, it does not matter. Would you live there when you leave? You know that when you leave that property, you would live there. God forbid anything went wrong. So, um, so either way, that's, uh, that's what works for us. I'd be happy to talk to anybody else about it. Um, you know, if you'd like to learn more about what we do with the subsidy programs, um, there's, uh, we, ha we have written a book on it. You know, it's a great way to diversify your portfolio. Um, landlording life. Exactly. Check it out. Antoine, not doing any, 1031s right now. I heard they were going to extend the time the time frame on those. I don't know if that actually ever happened during all this um, between identifying a property and purchasing the next property. I'm guessing that they probably will if they haven't. Um, Have you ever well, heard of a? So there's the 1031 program, right? There's the Opportunity Zone program, which is something completely different to deferred capital gains. Have you ever heard of a monetized installment sale? No. Explain you never heard of that? Okay, so I don't know. My, Explain it. Maybe I've heard of something. My understanding is not some that big, term. Some big corporations utilize. Say I went in and I bought uh, a property off of you, and you wanted to defer your tax gains. What you would do is go to an intermediary, just like um, a ten thirty one, and what they would do is they would take five percent or seven percent off your proceeds, and they would give you a loan back. Um, and essentially, you have this loan that's outstanding for the next thirty years, which ultimately defers your gains because you're taking it back in the form of a loan. Um, it's not a seller carry back. You're getting your lump sum payment. Um, I did some research on it. Some big corporations are utilizing it. Um, it's not a very well-known um, strategy. I don't know anybody. I know one guy. I'm waiting to see if he actually completes it. He's selling a, a storage facility up in Ohio, and he said he's going that route. So if he does it, I would love to bring him on and discuss it with him. Yeah. Yeah. I got to think through that not on the fly and think about yeah. if that makes sense or not. Hey, when we get off this call, share that. And then we can share this on our next one as well. Share the, uh, um, the realized passive losses. Oh, um, yes. uh, if, if that's real, I don't know if that's definitely real or not, but if that is, that's great. So what, what Ian's, he's not claiming this, but what it looks like, and don't quote us on this because we haven't done enough due diligence, but this is good news. If it is, um, potentially you can realize all of your passive losses on your two, on this year's tax return, if this is accurate, because what happens is typically you have passive and active losses and most real estate investors, if you're a full-time owner of real estate, if that's your full-time job, you're full, you know, you're, you're considered a full-time real estate uh, professional, 
um, or investor, you you have active losses, right? You have active gains and you have active losses. Now, if you're not that, for instance, I'm not, I'm a full-time lender. I'm not a full-time real estate investor, but I own you know a good amount of real estate. If we take a loss on a rental property, I don't get an active loss, dollar for dollar, I get a passive loss. And a passive loss is not great because number one, in order to write off a passive loss, you need a passive gain to do so. So for instance, you know, potentially if I sell a rental property at a big gain and then I take have a big loss on a rental property, you know, for instance, those could offset, so those could work. But typically, like I'm not selling assets, so I don't have any, uh, I don't have any gains to to offset. So when it's passively, I think what, what can you do? Like two thousand bucks a year or something that you can defer or that you can yeah. write write off per per year. Yeah. Because what happens is with these passive losses is they they keep accumulating and then write, you write them off over a long period of time. So let's say you in, invest in a business, um, you know, a startup or a business and you take a loss and you're like, okay, well, I took a $20,000 loss. At least I can write that loss off that I invested in this business. Well, you can't if it's a passive loss unless you have passive gains to do so. So there's some documents going back and forth or there's some uh, news articles going back and forth that all of your um, previous running, tallying, passive losses can be realized this year on your tax returns. But again, that's not verified, so don't quote us on that. Yep. But if we find out it is and we're able to do so, that would be that would be great. Yep, yep. And uh, I was just trying to find it, to read it word for word, but that was our understanding. Um, so that's, uh, that's that. Hopefully this case study was helpful. I know next week we got a, a fully packed week. We have a new home builder um infill lot builder from uh pg county jumping on vernon vaughn i believe tim kane just confirmed with me he does a lot of high-end renovations in the arlington and dc area so we're going to see how he's been coping with everything um and is an active real estate investor um and uh i'm sure that we have a case study lined up for next friday um but you know yeah, i've got i've got some news I got some bigger real estate agents that want to hop on with us as well. So we'll share their information with you as that happens to see what they're doing. Um, yeah, just so, run through a few of these real quick questions and then yeah. go ahead. Do you want to? No, I was, just, I was just giving you some filler. You know, that's, that's my job as the other podcast host <laughs> just to fill in while you're reading. Uh, no, I was just going to um, say, you know, it's been a jam packed week and uh, I think we should do a recap tomorrow. I'm, I'm cool. I like doing recaps on Saturdays. Yeah. Um, Rodney, yes, I am familiar with all of the ones that you're talking about because that was like a year or so ago. Email me at jason at hardmoneybankers.com, jason at hardmoneybankers.com. Terry's aware of these and um, I'm aware of them. We just, I know you couldn't get title clean on on these. Um, they were all on like the other side of the Bay Bridge. So I'm, I, I'm familiar with them. Um, what else did we have? Uh, someone said, hi. Farah, yeah, we'll uh, as we as we learn more and as we hear more, we'll get you some more info. Antoine, all of the calls that we do are on a few different places. You can go to the Real Estate Investor, or I'm sorry, Real Estate Reserve Podcast.com. I'll put that right here. Here's the link: Real Estate Reserve Podcast.com. Every day we go live on the Hard Money Bankers Facebook page, Ian's Equity Warehouse Facebook page. The Real Estate Investing Incubator Meetup Group, the Hard Money Bankers YouTube page, and we're in the process of getting going live on my personal LinkedIn page as well. So we're trying to make sure everyone has full access to all of this. Um, we're on iTunes, Stitcher, anywhere you listen to your podcast, they get downloaded, and usually that yep. day or the next day that this episode, if you can't actually get in front of your computer and watch right. it, you'll be able to hear it right. on podcast as well. Ronnie's question is: Yes, we are still. Yes, we are still actively lending. We're a little bit more conservative than we were in the past, but we're still actively lending. Uh, feel free to email me at jason at hardmoneybankers.com. Typically, just a little bit of brief synopsis of what you're looking for and maybe the address of the property, purchase price, construction costs, things like that. And I can let you know very, very quickly exactly how much we can lend. We only lend in Maryland, Virginia, DC. And then we have an office in Pennsylvania where we lend in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Delaware. Um, I would encourage everybody if they are buying um, rental properties to pick up Ian's book, Subsidized. You know, obviously, we're not the purpose of this podcast is not to you know to, to sell anything. We're not gurus. We're local. We're local investors doing deals like you guys. 
Uh, and that's always been the, the thing. We're never going to bring on anybody here that's trying to sell anything. That's not what it's about. But Ian did have a really good book that he uh, did called Subsidize. So ch check that out. Um, and um, I would like to say before we roll out is that next week should be interesting because it sounds like a lot of areas are starting to open back up. Um, and it should be interesting to see how people are mitigating everything as things reopen. Um, so it should be a real interesting week next week. So definitely stay tuned. Um, and we will have new investors, new real estate agents, lender, whoever. Uh, if you have pertinent information, you want to jump on here and get interviewed, come on on. We're, uh, we're, always, we're always happy to have anybody that's willing to talk about real estate. Are you going to upgrade your internet by next week? I do. I'm watching them. They they so they brought this machine in like a um, you know, like a trencher or whatever a missile thing, and they shot it, and then they put all the cable in, and now they're stretching all the cables. I don't know if that's what's affecting it. Got it. I don't know why you know, I had it zoomed out, zoomed in, zoomed out. I like to zoomed in yeah. better. Deal. Yes, the book the the book is on Amazon. You can look it up, subsidized, or you can go to landlordinglife.com and you can pick up a copy of the book. Or if you go to Real Estate Reserve Podcast. Um, I believe both There's mine and Jason's books are both on there as well. Yeah, I'll share. I'll show you real quick while we're at it. Our two books that we have. <clears throat> We've got this, the whiteboard book, which was our original book that my partner Chris and I wrote for uh, small business owners in general, not geared towards real estate, just small business. And then we had this book called Property Hackers that uh, we released um, late last year, your guide to becoming your own successful real estate investor. So, but yeah. Uh, all right. Well, hope everybody enjoyed. Thank you for watching. And we will see everybody. Maybe we'll do a show tomorrow. We'll see. Yeah, we need to we do might a do recap. A, we might it's do a, a busy recap week. tomorrow. If not, we'll do Monday. But yeah, I mean, we're all around. That's why we're just doing, yeah. doing, doing shows, doing deals. That's what we do. Thanks for tuning in to the Real Estate Reserve Podcast. Do us a favor and like, comment, and share our broadcast. It helps the algorithm and helps us spread the word too. Till next time, thank you for tuning in.